0: God, thank you for these people. And as we open up uh, your word to look at it, pray that you would speak to us through your spirit. Even things that aren't in the text, but uh, the way that you work supernaturally to deal with the things in our heart. And uh, pray, God, that above all that your your love is shown here. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at the book of Jonah nowadays. Started it a couple of weeks ago. And um, I think one of the problems with this book is that We think that we know the story of Jonah and we probably don't. Um, More often than not, people associate Jonah with another story involving a whale where um, the whale's name is Moby Dick. And um, Jonah's woken up by Captain Ahab and uh, the sailors that threw him overboard were like Starbucks, Stub and Flask. And the ship, the ship of Tarshish is the Pequod. but the real story of Jonah doesn't have a whale in it. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it never says whale. And um, anyway, we looked a couple of weeks ago at, at chapter one. And for those of you who, who weren't here for that, I'll give you a quick recap. Um, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah saying, arise, go to Nineveh and go to that pagan city. Tell them about God's love. And Jonah chooses not to do that. And and instead of he heads to Joppa, he jumps on a ship to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction. And God sends a storm and the ship starts breaking apart. Jonah tells the mariners to throw him overboard. Then these pagan mariners get converted and, and they begin worshiping the God of Israel. And Jonah is thrown off the side of the boat and the storm stops. Jonah's sinking into the sea and he thinks he's going to die. And that was chapter one. Um, I don't know why it took me 45 minutes a couple of weeks ago, but it, it. Um, so that's where we left off. We're gonna we're gonna pick it up from there. Uh, actually, chapter one, verse 17 is where we're 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 gonna pick it up. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, act like you've never heard this story before, and picture what it's like to hear this story for the very first time. Here we have Jonah plunging into the sea, but the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Noah. Oh, Noah. Jonah. Not Noah. That would be awesome. That was the real ark. It was not a... No, okay. And we're also told that Jonah was, was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Um, do any of you find that humorous at all? Don't you just find that or do you just find that kind of like strange or unexpected? Um, it, its intent is, is to be kind of funny, to be kind of strange, unexpected. And we'll get into that in a little bit. And, and this is a, a brilliantly written story, by the way, and we'll soon see that as well. But take your mind back to this word prepared. And the word prepared could be translated appointed or assigned or commissioned. And it's, it's a governing type of a word. And it's what, what kings would do when appointing a, a diplomat or an ambassador or a messenger. It, it's something that's done to people, but here it's done to a fish. And I have a question for you guys Who was your favorite superhero? <laughs> Batman. Batman. Mine was Aquaman. Hands down, Aquaman. I mean, he, he was able to, to command the creatures of the sea to do his bidding. I loved Aquaman. I had an lo- Aquaman lunch pail. And, um, and when we played superheroes in school, I, I always chose Aquaman. I even had the underoos. I don't know if you remember underoos. They were so awesome. I had this like tight green Aquaman shirt with a little A right here with the little scales on the abdomen and the tidy greenies. And um, it, was, it was just awesome. It was awesome. I loved those underoos. I wish I still had them. Anyway, God is the original Aquaman. And um, uh, imagine him saying, um, hey, fishy. And the fish, yes, Lord. And and God saying, "Um, go pick up Jonah. And um, remember not to chew. Um, Just swallow him whole because I still want him to to do something for me. And I'll I'll tell you where to spit him out later. Okay, God. Off he swims. And, And God prepared a fish. God appointed a fish. Isn't that odd? Let's stop here for a bit and let's discuss something a little bit more serious. And Due, due to the nature of this story, um, many of us that are um, more scientific in nature would, would think to ourselves, I don't know if I can accept the thought of a fish swallowing some guy and having that guy living in that fish for three days and three nights. That, that just seems scientifically impossible. That. That makes me take away my reasoning. It makes me take my logic away. I I don't think I can believe that. So let's address this doubt if it exists for you. And and let me start by saying to you skeptics, thank you. Thank you because we shouldn't pretend like we believe things that we really don't believe. We should approach our our doubts in a a thoughtful way, in a prayerful way, and, and seek those answers and look for answers in seeking the truth in matters that don't make sense to us. And I remember hearing stories in, in sermons about living things and human beings found in bellies of whales. And, and there are there are there was a story in the late 1800s about uh, a whaler named James Bartley. And he fell into the sea and supposedly he was found alive in, in the whale's stomach, even though the widow of the ship's captain denied that it ever happened. But anyway, I, I have a biology background and, and I have I had Christian professors and, and in my various biology classes, this actually was an argument, some believing that it was possible, others believing that it's not. And, you know, how can we as people of science and logic and reasoning believe in such a thing? But, but the point of Jonah is not a fish anyway. So, you know, so what's the point? I, I think the point is that it would, it would take a miracle for that to happen to Jonah. The the real question is, are are miracles possible and and whether we believe in miracles? And you can also argue about, you know, genre or whether this is narrative and it didn't happen. That's fine and all. But at the core of our faith is this claim. The claim that there is a God and he's all powerful and he raised Jesus from the dead. And it happened in history and God has revealed himself uniquely in the Bible. and, And to God, nothing is impossible. So God rose Jesus from the dead. So I don't think it's all that hard for God to keep a guy in a fish for a couple of days. Um, and what I want to say is this. Don't get hung up over things like what genre this story is or what kind of fish can possibly keep, uh, you know, a person in their stomach for three days or whether such a thing can happen or not or any of those types of details. Because if you do, you're going to miss the purpose the author had for this book. And the purpose of the message is a spiritual message. And that message is that God is up to something really great. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I asked you guys to keep this word great in mind as we go through this study. And the reason is that this word great is the primary word associated with God in this story. So let's take a look back in chapter one again and see where great comes up. And the first one starts in verse two. And God saying to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And and we find that. God has a great heart because it turns out that God has a heart for this great city. And then we go to verse four after Jonah runs the opposite way. The Bible says, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty, which in Hebrew is the same word for great storm. And then we go to verse 10, where the pagan mariners are converted through a great fear and the men were exceedingly. It's the same word for greatly in Hebrew, afraid. And then we go to verse 17 Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. See, God is doing something great in this story. And while God is doing something great, Jonah is doing everything he can to mess up everything he touches. And in the book of Jonah, we find that the main word for God is is great, while we find the main word for Jonah is down. Let's look at that. Starting in verse three of chapter one, let's see where Jonah goes down. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it. Then verse five, Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. Verse 15, Jonah is thrown into the sea and he goes down into the water. Verse 17, he goes down into the fish. And I know he does. The Bible doesn't say down on those things, but it's the picture of it happening down into the sea, down into the fish. And for an Israelite, you can't get any lower than this. Right. As you hear this story, as you hear this story of Jonah, the sea was the lowest you can go. There was no lower. Right. And it was a great place of of fear, of great horror, of, of great terror. It was a place of death for them. And can you guess what Jonah does while he's in the fish? He prays chapter two, verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me out of my belly of Sheol. I cried and and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. And you notice that. Jonah has hit bottom physically, emotionally, spiritually. And you also notice that he has gone a long time without honestly praying to God. You know, he received instructions to go to Nineveh, but he goes down to Joppa instead. But he doesn't pray about going to Joppa, does he? He then gets on a ship to Tarshish, but he doesn't pray about getting on that ship to Tarshish, does he? And he's not talking to God anymore. Right. He, he's, he's in a rebellion. He's running. He isn't honestly seeking what God wants from him anymore. And that's until he ends up in a fish. Why do you think Jonah started praying in a fish? He had nothing better to do. Right. What would you do if you were stuck in a fish? There's nowhere to go, which brings me up to my next question. Why do you think we have such a hard time praying sometimes? I think it's because we have so many other things to do, that we have so many distractions in our life, so many things to look at, so many noises that we can produce, so many screens that we can turn on, so many things that allow us to avoid having to face what's really going on in our heart, what's really going on in our minds. There are simply just too many things that we allow into our lives that easily sidetrack us or, or distract us. God brings Jonah down, way down, down to a place of desperation thanks to a fish. And Jonah turns to God because there's nowhere else to turn to. Right? The whole first chapter of Jonah is is human action. If you look at Jonah as a whole, you know, Jonah's making his own plans. Jonah has his own resources, right? He has mobility. He has money to pay fare for for a boat ride. Um, Jonah chooses to go places independent of God. And then how does it turn out? How does all that turn out? Pretty disastrous, right? And, and the great storm strikes, and Jonah's story just comes to a screeching halt. And, and in the second chapter of Jonah, there, there's there's no human action except for prayer. And from praying, the good the good stuff starts to happen for Jonah. And Jonah goes as low as he can go. And, and at that point of the story to the Israelites, um, that's as low as you can go, right? So here's a man in the belly of a fish in the bottom of the sea. And, and guess what Jonah discovers? God's even there. Psalm chapter 139, verse 8, the psalmist writes, If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. And the psalm is true. God is there in the hells of our lives. God is there. This story is all about hitting bottom because that is what the sea was to an Israelite. Verse 4 Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah came to realize that what looked so bad, you know, the storm getting thrown overboard, sinking into the sea, being swallowed by a fish was actually the best thing that ever happened to him. Because it brought him back to God. That God was doing great things and wanted Jonah to participate in his greatness. And has that, has anyone here ever been like way in something way over your head? Like you're like, What happened? Like, what am I doing here? You know the best thing you can do in situations like that is, is to pray. That's the best thing you can do. Whether you're responsible for what happened or you're not. Pray. You pray no matter what the circumstances are, even if you feel like you've been living a way that you shouldn't have been living, or, or even if you question your motives or, or your heart behind why you pray things. Just pray. You know, God God's going to help you sort things out within yourself and you just need to pray. God is only a prayer away. And he's a God full of grace. He, he's an understanding God, and and He knows that when you're at the rock bottom and have nowhere else to go, that you can still go to Him. He wants you to. He's inviting you to go to Him. And Jonah prays to God, and God hears him. Jonah's delivered. But you'll notice a, a weird thing in this last verse. What what happens next is is actually silly, right? It, it's it's funny. But before we get to that last verse, um. Let's talk about Jonah getting delivered on the third day because the third day is a a big day in Bible stories. When God came to rescue in the Old Testament, it would often come on the third day in, in like a dramatic fashion. So the audience would expect as they're listening to this story that Jonah's going to get rescued in some dramatic fashion. Perhaps God was going to come and reach his hand into the fish and then pull him out. Or maybe a chariot, a fire came and he can ride it out. Or maybe an angel comes and with a sword slices the fishes open and carries them out or something. That's not what happens. Let's read verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. This is like a perfect sermon for junior hires. Right? Vomited. You can't get much better than that. The Hebrew he, the Hebrew word is actually more graphic than that. It, it's, it's a description of, of spewing or, or disgorging, right? It's describing a, a projectile type of vomit. Because, because as you read, you know, a fish is in water, right? He's, ejected, vomited to dry land, so that's awesome like, if junior hires immature guys i'm I'm there with you i I think it's great and um so Jonah ends up on dry land and he and he's not a hero, he's not a martyr, he's just some funky smelling dude that was just ejected out of a fish with the rest of its throw up. You know, what a dignified noble entrance, huh or what a dignified noble entrance, eh? That was for you Canadians. And, so, there's a, there's a, there's a really important reason the writer of, of Jonah is putting the story this way. And when writing a story, um, there are categories, right? So, so you can write fantasies, horror, sci-fi, mystery, thrillers, biographical, historical, inspirational. There, there's so many ways to write a story. I think this one falls under comedy. It, it's comical. Right. And, and that's not to say that it's not true or that it's not important, because the beauty of comedy is that it can be true and important, but it's funny. And, and so let's briefly um, review chapter one's funny events. And while, while you would think that Jonah, a man of God, a prophet of God, he'd be the hero, right? He'd be the hero of the story. We don't find him to be at all. God tells him to go to go to Nineveh. He goes the opposite way. I just imagine like this Charlie Chaplin type guy in a black and white video. God telling him he's just doing the opposite things. Jonah, Jonah, the prophet, the man of God, is sleeping in the middle of a, of, a, of a storm while the ship is tearing apart and a pagan, a Gentile captain comes and pleads with him to pray. Jonah, the man of God, the prophet of God, isn't compassionate towards the Ninevites while a crew of pagan, Gentile sailors who probably have sailor mouths show compassion towards him. And then they get converted and believe in the God of Israel. You know, Jonah's thrown into the sea. He's, he's, he's going to die of drowning. And, and God appoints a fish to rescue him. Not, not an angel or, or some spiritual type of event, but a fish. Right? Nemo to the rescue. Right? And, and, and to top it off, Nemo heaves Jonah to dry land with a projectile vomit. It's funny. So Jonah thought he was as good as dead and to an Israelite, this is a pretty low point in one's life. You know, there aren't many stories to illustrate getting any lower than this to an Israelite. You're in the middle of the ocean. You're running away from God. A pagan Gentile captain comes to you and challenges you to pray. And you're thrown overboard by a crew of pagan Gentile sailors. And there you are sinking to the bottom of the sea. Then the story takes a turn. We find that, that the people heading downward, we find that God is great. That God is up to great things, and that the things we see as serious or, or grave in our life, the things where we see that there's no hope or an imminent death, they aren't that serious or grave to God. And we find that even people of God who are, who are stubborn and rebellious, what, what the Bible calls stiff necked people, they aren't that difficult for God to deal with. And you see, God laughs at it. He laughs at death. And what he, what seems to be the end of the world in our lives, he, he laughs at it. And and through all that stuff that Jonah goes through, a fish vomits him to dry land. He laughs at it all. And the things we see as so grave, as so serious in our life that we think are, are beyond God, they really aren't. And there will come a day when. When we'll truly understand that that joy wins, right? At, at some point in our lives, whether it's, it's death or something tragic going on. And last week, um, Tim Forney taught about the joy of the Lord. Jonah is a joy type of book. It, it, it's a comedy that's inspirational, encouraging. It's brilliant, brilliantly written because you're going to notice another character between the lines of this story. Do you guys know where Jonah is from? 2 Kings chapter fourteen twenty five. That's that's where it tells you where Jonah is from. His servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath Hekefer. Do you know where gath Hekefer is? It's just a few miles from Nazareth. Two to five miles from Nazareth. Isn't there a prophet who came from Nazareth that you and I are familiar with? In the book of Jonah, we find him asleep on a boat in a tempestuous storm while everyone else on the boat is panicking and he's woken up. And by Jonah's actions, the storm is calmed. Sound familiar to you about anyone in the Bible that we might know about in a storm? Calms the storm down by his actions. Do you know what Jonah's name means? It means dove. Dove. Does it remind you of anyone who who went down into the water, came out of the water, and then the Spirit descended upon him like a dove? And see, Jesus said toward the end of his life in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish at the bottom, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is the sign of Jonah. A sign Jesus gave. This fallen world, right? Where, where he promised that there was going to be a glorious third day. The only sign Jesus gave was the sign of Jonah, the sign of his resurrection. And the message of Jonah is a foretaste of the victory of Jesus, who comes to meet us at the lowest places of our lives. And he says, you know what? Death loses. Sadness loses. Sin loses. Sorrow loses. Anything that brings you to the lowest point in your life, it loses. And the flip side of that, you know what, guys? Love wins. Joy wins. Life wins. Righteousness wins. Justice wins. Grace wins. Mercy wins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, Paul writes, O death, where's your sting? O Hades, where's your victory? See, God gets the last laugh. There's no bottom that God can't deliver you from. There's no low that you can't be set free from. This is the story of Jonah. And have any of you heard of the catacombs? I, I paid a visit to the catacombs in Rome about um, eight years ago, and, and they're tombs. They're, they're, it's a place where um, people buried the dead. And I went there with some friends on a, on a Steps of Paul tour that um, was led by a professor named Dr. Chen, and. Well, well, in many of the places, we used local guides as we were touring all these places. And and if you use a local guide when walking through the Roman catacombs, they're they're going to tell you that during the the, the time of of Christian persecution, that the Christians did not use the catacombs. That's what they'll tell you. And that it's purely a myth and that it's not true. Well, Dr. Chen strongly disagrees with them. And and it was funny because as the local guides were telling all this stuff in English and everything, Dr. Chen was like looking at her and she's like, started speaking in Chinese and was, like, re- refuting everything she was saying and rebutting. And like, and, like, people were laughing and she thought she was, like, really funny or something, but it was really, we were just laughing with him. And um, so it was funny. Anyway, um, I don't want to debate about whether the catacombs were used by Christians during persecutions. That's a different topic, and that's not what we're talking about now. What I want to point out is the art in the catacombs. There's art that's carved, that's drawn, that's engraved, that's etched and sketched. Not, not etch and sketch. etched and sketched, Etched and sketched on the walls in the catacombs, right? And do you know which Old Testament person is found um, in the catacombs more than anyone else in the Old Testament? It's not Adam, the first man. It's not Moses, the great prophet. It's not Abraham, the father of all people. It's not Noah, the survivor of the great flood. It's not David, the great king. Jonah. Jonah. He's actually the second most depicted person in the catacombs. Do you know who's first? No, not Sunday school answer, Jesus. (laughs) Not Jesus. It's not Paul. It's not any of the disciples. Lazarus. Why do you think Lazarus is the most depicted person in the catacombs and then Jonah is the second most depicted person in the catacombs? Early Christians got the joke. There's no death because a deliverer is coming. The resurrection is true. The third day is coming. In a place of death, in a place of burial, those are the people etched in there. Why? Huh, it's just death, right? Jesus is everywhere in the book of Jonah, and and this book is like a holy comic book, and a holy comic book where where death is mocked. It has no sting. A resurrection is coming for for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus. For those who have suffered from diseases like heart disease or diabetes or Alzheimer's or or cancers or, or killers like AIDS or malaria. You know, those things have done their worst. And the people suffering from them go all the way down to the grave and they come back on the other side where they see that life is good. No more suffering, no more pain. Healing is complete, where our redemption is complete where we have new bodies in a community of saints who are in fellowship with God for eternity, where you find, your, where you find yourself asking, that's it? That's what I was afraid of? That isn't something to be afraid of. It's not awful. What a joke that was. That has no power. It's, it's a door to the rest of my life. That's the book of Jonah. Jonah sinks down. He reaches the bottom. And at the bottom is where Jonah realizes, God is great. So now that we realize that, what do we do with that knowledge? What do we do when we hit rock bottom, when we're way in over our heads? Chapter 2 tells us to pray. There's a Jonah I know who, who's a business owner and a friend of mine. He was on a ship of Tarshish with a lot of different women in his life. And he sired children all over the place. And, and he was living a life of crime to continue sailing in, in this sea of speed, and this sea of methamphetamines. And he couldn't stay away from this stuff. And he just kept going down deeper and deeper and into this sea of despair. And he was living out of his car for a while and and looking for the next opportunity to to steal, to get his next fix. The guy finds himself in prison several times through the years, um, but they were shorter sentences. But, But then he finds himself in this longer sentence and he finds himself in a cell with five humongous black guys. He's a he's a smaller white guy, um, and these guys were waiting to be transferred to San Quentin. They were bodybuilding every day, and these humongous guys they looked like an Oreo cookie, a little white guy and black right. and that was the time he found Jesus. He's terrified, and he tells them that, "Hey man, I don't want any trouble. I don't want any trouble. I'm a Christian." He really wasn't a liar. And I love the Lord Jesus, and, and I, just want, I just want to do, do my time and, and go on and, and you know, be with Jesus. And the five guys stand up and come around and surround him. We're Christians too. And then he tells me um, that those five guys were the sweetest, kindest men that he's ever met. That, that every day, the, the five big black guys and the one much smaller white guy, they, they would pray together. And they would study the Bible together. And they would go to any of the Christian functions that came around the prison. And in that low point is where his life was saved. He goes down really far. far, And and what he finds is a shocking revelation. that, That by going down to the bottom, the greatest thing that ever happened to him was found there. He met God. God who is all about doing something great. And he now has a family. He's been clean for Um, almost eight years. I think it's going to be eight years um, coming up in a couple months. And there's a second Jonah uh, whose story I'd like to share with you. He he came to Regen about five years ago. And a little before that time, he was just this out-of-control lunatic who was addicted to alcohol and drugs. And he didn't have a job because he couldn't hold one down. And he stole and he lied and, and he beat people up for his drugs and his alcohol. Well, he was, he was so out of his mind that no one wanted to be around him anymore. Not, in, not even his like, drinking buddies and druggy friends. They were like, hey, you're, you're too crazy for us even, right? And so he found himself drinking alone. And so he locked himself up in his own room for six months. He just drank himself crazy by himself. No one wanted to be around him. No family, no friends, just all by himself. He goes into a deep depression and he started um, to become suicidal. And, and he wanted to take his own life, but but he couldn't because he was afraid of hell. So he, he just didn't. He believed in a hell, but uh, and he didn't want to go there. He, he can only go down that much, right? You can, I guess, for his low point, he can even go down to hell. But he found that he was afraid to enter that place and he went as low as he could. And he found um, later on that, that he needed help. So he went to a 12 step program. And while in the 12 step program, he was encouraged to stop drinking, stop using uh, drugs and that there's there's another life available, that that life can be good. And the program allowed him to be more open to God because the 12 steps helped him break down barriers that he personally had to God. And and it was in the third step that um, it says, make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. And to him, it was about restoring himself to sanity And that was the start of his spiritual quest, but he felt he couldn't go to church because he felt he was um, unsuitable until he was clean from drugs and alcohol for a time. And after the 12 steps, he started exploring all types of religions to find God, but he still found himself miserable. He still found himself empty with no peace and and feeling similar to when he was locked up in a room all by himself. And he then he finally decided to check out Jesus and so region was one of those three churches he was checking out. I guess he was maxing out his Jesus absorption or something. And I remember the very seat in the corner he was sitting in. It was back there, not in this church because we weren't there five years ago. It was in a different church, but it was in that corner if I was on the stage. And the spirit led me straight to him that night. And I often pray for God to show me who I get to talk to. And I pray that we're all that way, like, God, who do I get, who do I get to talk to? And, and he led me to him, and we started talking, and I encouraged him to pray. And he didn't really know how to, so we did it together. And he felt something when he prayed to Jesus. And I shared the gospel with him and told him by, by faith that he will wash us totally clean. But he couldn't believe it. He, he, was, he was riddled with guilt, and, and he felt like he had to do something to earn his salvation. So we exchanged numbers and and he found out that a relationship with me was his lowest low. And in his relationship with me, that God is even there. Um, No, I'm kidding. The point is, is, is God is great even when we're at the lowest point in our life. Right. His ministry is now serving homeless. He's totally flipped around. He's been clean for five years. And he's serving the homeless. And another friend of mine found himself while he was in tears in his old beat-up, rusting truck with no wipers or fan in the hot Arizona desert. How did I get here? How did this happen to me? Right? He was newly married, and I know a lot of you newlyweds ask yourself, how did I get here? How did this happen to me? If you're in that boat, please see me after the service. And anyway, he was, he was newly married and, and found that he, he couldn't hold a job down. Right, The only thing he could do was, was work for his father-in-law in another state while his wife kept his current job, her current job. And everyone around him knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what was wrong with him. And he couldn't hold a job, and, and she felt that she was accomplished um, when she would simply fold a sweater at JCPenney's. These were totally broken people, no confidence people. They both had college degrees from a really reputable university, and they did really well as students, but they didn't have any confidence afterward. And they couldn't do anything that required them to use any type of mental energy. They felt like people who had nothing to offer society or community, and they ended up up filing for bankruptcy to lose everything. And while separated, they found out that each other were um, bipolar and that they suffered from manic depression. And they didn't know this about each other, um, for, but for the years that they were dating and the couple of years that they were married, and he grew up in the church and while, while he was driving a shuttle bus, because um, that was one job that he could get, he, he turned on a Christian radio station. And, and Charles Stanley was on the radio station and he asked, Are you sure of your salvation? At the lowest point of his life, God, who is great, was right there. And several years ago, um, that was where he was, and he moved from a no-confidence shuttle driver to an attorney in San Francisco, pretty successful one. If you're listening to this, tithe okay. Um, she, she, she moved. She went from feeling accomplished from folding sweaters at JCPenney to becoming a vice president for a large investment management firm and in San Francisco. God is great. The last, Joan, I want to share with you is the story of my former pastor in Southern California. His name is Raul. Rawl grew up in a home where, where his dad was an alcoholic. And he, was, he was physically abused um, by him as a child and, and he grew up um, extremely calloused. He grew up extremely violent. And in his senior year of high school, he beat a guy up um, so badly, he beat him unconscious. And he was convicted of assault. So the judge uh, at at his sentencing, he he gave him two choices. He said, you can go to jail or you can enlist in the military and off to Vietnam. He chose the Marines off to Vietnam. He went and while in Vietnam, he was part of this special forces team with with the specialization uh, of of, uh, bounty hunting. So here, get this guy. And off they went with this team. And and he found that um, sadly. He enjoyed killing people. He enjoyed torturing people. And after being wounded from a grenade, the third time he was wounded in combat, he was, he was sent back right back into the jungle. And, and, and then he turned his anger and his rage towards his superiors. And so he, he threatened to com- kill his commanding officer by pointing his weapon at him. And so he was arrested. And so he was sent to the Naval Hospital Psychiatric Ward, which used to be right here in Oakland. And he came home and, and, he, and then uh, got his Christian girlfriend pregnant. And so they got married and, and then he began to verbally and physically abuse her. Keep in mind that this guy's a master in Kung Fu. It's not like some Joe that just kind of boxes or something for fun. This guy is like trained to kill. He's trained to torture. He's trained to like hit. And he'd purposely go to bars and he'd find the biggest and the toughest guys he could find to fight with them. He's not that big. He's like five six. His forearms are like that big, but he's not that big. Um, and, he, and then he had another child, and he continued to physically and verbally abuse his wife and his children. His kids are less than six years old. Sharon had enough. She had enough abuse towards her. She, he had. She had enough abuse towards her sons. They were going to leave. So while he was away on a camping trip, Sharon packed up belongings and and left left the, the luggage sitting in the living room so that she and the kids could go to the Easter service. And that day, Raw came home earlier than expected. He was infuriated with rage. And, and uh, he saw the luggage there in the living room and, and that they were planning to leave him. He decided that he was going to wait for them to come home and then he was going to kill them. He pulled out his 22 rifle he told himself that after he killed them, he was either going to kill himself or he was going to take out as many people in the police shootout before he went. And, you know, Raul had a lot of money. He had a lot of fame running a successful kung fu business. He had a lot of women while he was cheating on his wife. And he was at the bottom of his life. Well, he turns on the television while waiting for his family to come back to, to meet their deaths. And as he's pacing back and forth like this predatory tiger in front of the TV he turns it on and he finds himself watching a Christian program the teacher that night shared about God's love how God is perfect and and in God's holiness that we can't have a relationship with him because we're sinners and he continued to share about God's love and how Jesus bore our sins so so God could have a relationship with us that no matter where you are in life that, that God loves you That God is reaching out to you and that he's inviting you to him so so he can show you how much he loves you, even though you're so deep down in your sin, so deep down in your muck, that Jesus gives a gift of forgiveness if we accept it. So Raul puts his rifle down because he really wanted this forgiveness, but he thought that surrender as as a Marine, as a special forces guy, it, it, it meant defeat. It meant weakness. But he realized in his heart that, you know, this is it. This is my only chance. This was his bottom. So while on his knees, he surrendered his life to Jesus. God is great. And he met Raw down at the bottom. Raw pastors a church in Southern California. And the church has produced many pastors, many missionaries all over the world. I'm just one. And he's the one who told me to go to the church's pastoral school. I was training in Kung Fu with him for several years. And one of the practices, he came up to me and says, you need to go to pastoral school. And so um, to a man that could kill me in five seconds, I had no choice. I said, yes. I said, okay. To no problem. And um, you'll find that there are many people with stories like this, even in this church. That if you get to know people here, that how God is so great when they were down low, down deep, and they kept going down, they kept going down, that God was so great and He was there. And Jonah says to God, you cast me into the deep. You cast me. You threw me. All four of those people I mentioned were, were cast into the deep, thrown into the deep. And they found that God was way down there. His peace, His goodness was still available way down there. That's the story of Jonah. And that's why what looks like a tragedy ends up comedy. And that's our lives if we want it. That's the sign of Jonah. Jesus comes and says, If you allow me into your life, I'll meet you at your lowest point. Anytime. Now, later, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you at the cross. And I promise that there's a third day. I promise. I promise if you let me in your life, There's a third day. Let's pray. God, some of us are at the low points of our life. And um, some of us have have come through that. And and we thank you for that. Um, Some of us haven't been there yet. And it's coming. And I just ask God that you would help us to remember the cross. Wherever we are in that place. And where, where humanity... Um, couldn't get any darker and couldn't get any lower and yet in that very deep dark place, death, you are up to something so great. And God there are people in over their heads who people who are are burdened with with serious fears about their life, about different relationships that that um, are broken, that are that are unhealthy, that are bad, about a loved one who's who's in trouble or, or pain or suffering from some illness about regret, about a sin, about shame, about guilt. Thank you for Jesus, a Savior who, who sacrificed himself for our hope, for our forgiveness. Thank you for making that available to us, that even that lowest point, that all we have to do is cry out to you and you're there.